All right, you can hear me, that's awesome. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Rachel, as I'm sure you all know, and I am on the teaching team here at New Life. And today we are, hello. Today we are wrapping up our round table, table series on the character of God. So for seven weeks now, we have sat in the story of the very first time God describes who he is in the Bible. And we've been asking the question, who do we really believe God is, and who does God say he is? And so often we come into the biblical story with our own hurt and assumptions or biases of who we think God is. But God describes his character with five different words. And as we have done a deep dive into each one, God has been inviting us to allow his word to heal what we believe he, who we believe he is. And today, we have arrived at the fifth and final characteristic that God gives himself. And we are going to maybe read it together. Um, or we could watch a YouTube video. So to you guys. Um, we are, we are not going to read it together this morning. That's okay. We're having a few technical difficulties. So I will be reading all of the scriptures to you, and you can just let it wash over you, and you can listen. Okay, so our text, we've been, our series has been out of Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and we do have that scripture on the tables if you guys want to look at it. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, overflowing in loyal love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now let's just take a second and review the four words that we've gone through so far. We had compassionate, which was rachamim in Hebrew. And rachamim is actually translated the womb-likeness of God. It's a very feminine, very emotional word. And this word, it means that whenever we are in pain or hurting or suffering, God is moved with compassion to come and help and rescue us. And the type of rescue that God gives us is either forgiving us or being gracious to us, which is our second word. Graciousness or the chayn of God. The Hebrew word is chayn. And this graciousness, it means that God feels deep delight in us. He's deeply delighted, another emotional word. And out of his deep delight that he feels for us, uh, he will then give us favor. And so, uh, so that's graciousness. And then the third, uh, the third one was arek apayim, which is slow to anger. God has a long fuse, and the way the Bible captures this is they say he's long of nose. His, his nose takes a really, really long time to burn hot or to get angry. And so that we can know whenever we're frustrated or we continue to fail him, it takes a long time for God to get angry, a really long time. And then that fourth word John talked about last week, it is uh, the, the chesed of God, the loyal love. And this captures the generous overflowing 
of love and loyalty that God feels to us, especially when we have failed him and when we mess up. And so if you haven't noticed, these are all deeply emotional words. All four of these words you can find on a feelings chart. And this has been really important in understanding who God is. He relates to us through his emotions. And the last attribute that God gives to himself, the fifth and final one, we've made it today, is faithfulness. And the word in the Hebrew is emet. Can everyone say emet? E-M-E-T, emet. Everyone say it again. And maybe your voices will echo into eternity. Oh, there we go. Yeah, God's, God's emet. Now, this word can mean truth, true, trust, faith, steady, trustworthy, consistent, reliable, unshakable. And what makes God's emet different from the other words is it's not actually an emotional word. God's emet is a constant state of being. A perfect example of a met in the Bible is in Exodus 17. The Israelites are attacked by the Amalekites, and God tells them to go and to fight back. So Moses goes up to the, this huge hill, and he stands on top of the hill, and he raises his staff as the Israelites are fighting. And Exodus 17:11 says that as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they literally got a stone, put, sat him down on the stone, and then Aaron and Hur held up both, side, both of his hands to keep them up so that the Israelites would win. And the Bible says that this, his hands were held emet. His hands were held emet. Aaron and Hur kept Moses' hands a met, steady, secure, constant, stable, unwavering. Another really good picture of a met, think about the planets as they rotate around the sun, perfectly moving, never wavering or moving from course. If they did, we would have some problems, right? but they just continue to move. Gravity continues to keep us down onto the earth. Gravity doesn't just like take a nap. And they're like, I don't know, you guys are on your own and we float around for an hour, right? We're constantly held down and fixed to the earth because of gravity. This is a picture of emet, stability, consistency. And the emet of God is captured by the biblical authors by referring to him as a rock. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of emet, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So like a rock, God will never waver or move or crumble. He cannot be shaken, destroyed, manipulated, overthrown, or weakened. Emet captures God's stability in his character and constancy in upholding his promises. He stays true to his word and who he is always. And by this point, I hope you've noticed a pattern in the five attributes that God has given himself. These are all deeply personal 
and relational words. And God's emet is the same. It's almost always found in the context of relationship. And not just any relationship. Emet is found in the context of covenantal relationship. Covenantal relationship. So every single covenant in the Bible, God's covenant with Abraham to bless his descendants, God's covenant with Israel through Moses to provide and bless them, God's covenant to David to establish his throne forever. All of these covenants were built upon and held together by God's emet. In almost every case, God comes to the covenant partner, he lays his emet out on the table, and he says, this is how I will work for you with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my strength if you will love me as I am, cleave to me, and trust me to keep my word. And this is what's really, really special about this word emet. It has a reciprocal nature. It requires a response. So God promises to be faithful, to be emet, and then desires his people to put their trust, their emet, in him, to be faithful, in him in re- or faithful to him in return. And God says, I will be a constant rock to you. I am asking you to remain firmly planted on the rock, trusting in it fully. And when you do this, you will be full of emet. So, this begs the question, what happens when we aren't full of emet? What happens when we fail to trust in God? Well, welcome to every single covenantal partner that God has ever had. And not a single one of them lived up to their end of the bargain. Not a single one. And this brings us to the second half of our text. Verse 7. Now, we've already alluded to it several times throughout the series. So verse 6, we're in Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, overflowing in loyal love, and emet. And now this next part is the parentheses behind emet. It is actually going to define what God's emet looks like in, a, in the, con- the context of being in a relationship where his covenantal partner is going to fail him. Everyone say, that's talking about me. It's talking about me. All right. Yeah, this is talking about all of us. We are going to fail him in this partnership. Are you ready for what it says? Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So, this is so important. And I don't want you to miss it. Okay, so if you don't remember anything else from today, remember this. Built into God's emet, into his covenantal faithfulness, is God's understanding that we are going to struggle with trusting him. He is not surprised by it. He gets it, and he makes room for it. And the very first thing that God says about our imminent failure to to trust in him is that he will maintain his love. 
Picture Moses' hands as they're held up by Aaron and her, steady, unwavering, unmoved. And I, th I think that we need to just take a second and let that really settle deeply into our hearts this morning. When you fail him, his love for you is unmoved. It is unshaken. It is unchanged. Can we receive that this morning? When we fail him, he doesn't move. And yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. From the very first week of this series, John talked about it. We talked about the tension in this verse. While God is so slow to anger and he's so gracious, we, he must see justice done. And he will absolutely hold us accountable for our wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And this is actually a good thing. When you've been wronged, don't you want the person harmed to be held accountable? I know I do. It's just really hard when we're the ones that have done the hurting, right? The tension that we feel here, this is what it is to be in relationship with God. The Bible invites us to hold both God's faithfulness to maintain his love and be generous to forgive, and also his justice to allow us to feel the pain of our poor decisions. And this wrestling certainly isn't new. If anyone gets this struggle, it was the Israelites. The ultimate punishment in the Old Testament for God's people to fail to, to respond to God's met with trust was exile from the promised land. They had failed him over and over and over again, and God was faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. He allowed them to suffer the consequences of putting their emet into gods that crumble. In Psalm 89, the writer is reflecting on God's covenant that he made with King David. See, God had promised that he was going to establish a king over Israel forever, and that, that, and that the king, his David's throne, would go on forever that God would maintain his love always and wouldn't fail him. But Israel had been exiled, and there was no king on the throne. And so the psalmist says, but you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. Because Israel had been exiled from the land, the promise of a met looks like it has been violated. The rock doesn't look so faithful anymore. How can I place my trust in a rock that appears to be crumbling? So what we have to see, what I love about it, is that the Bible is both advocating that God is trustworthy and also recognizing that sometimes God doesn't feel trustworthy. And this tension is real and hard, and the Bible captures it beautifully. And when people tell you, you know what, you just got to believe, you can say, oh, 
You mean like the psalmist in Psalm 89, who goes on to say, how long, Lord? Are you going to hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Where is your former great love, your, your chesed, which in your faithfulness, your emet, you swore to David? Just like the psalmist, it is okay to struggle to trust in God's emet. Again, I cannot say this enough. If we know anything about the biblical story, it's that the writers are extremely sympathetic towards those who struggle to trust that God will be faithful. And I think what we need to know, what we need to know to encourage our hearts this morning about God's emet is that God doesn't ask his covenant people to respond with trust in him blindly. Followers of Jesus are sometimes accused of choosing to believe in him without evidence or even despite evidence. But scripture pushes back on this argument fiercely. I think it is so profoundly important that we know all throughout the biblical narrative, God demonstrates his faithfulness first, and then he asks his people to trust. In the Bible, in the Bible, faithful people are constantly looking back on examples of God's faithfulness in the past, and that becomes the basis for their ability to trust now. This moment that we're in right now, where Israel has been delivered from Egypt, this moment is enormous in the biblical story, in our story, because what God is saying is, I want you to remember what I have done. I want you to walk out of Egypt, and I want you to tell your children every single day what I have done and what I did here. And then they're going to tell their children, and they're going to tell their children, and they're going to tell their children. And forever, for a thousand generations, you're going to look back on what I have done here and on my faithfulness, and you will know if I was faithful then, I will be faithful now. If I rescued out of, out of slavery, then I rescue out of slavery now. If I make a way and on dry land through the Red Sea, then I will make a way for you now. Yes. And this is why it's so important that we read scripture, that we know what it says. We have to know what scripture says because that's what we look back on in the moments where we're struggling to trust. And we look back on our own story where we, we look back and we see God's faithfulness. God told them to make it a ritual to remember. Remember what I have done for you. And in the midst of your struggle, that's what you put your trust in, my past faithfulness. I don't ask you to go into this situation trusting me blindly. That's not blind. I'm asking you to look back and see what I have done for you and go into this future situation seeing that I will provide for you even if you don't know what it's going to look like. That's not blind faith. Our faith is not a blind faith. And we need to take a hold of that this morning. 
The kind of emet that God is asking for is a deeply personal and relational. And a blind faith means you don't know somebody. Blind faith is what you do to the cashier at a stranger, right? You trust they're going to give you the right money back. God doesn't ask us to put our faith in him blindly. He knows that we need to know he's trustworthy. And the ultimate act of God's emet was sending his son Jesus to bear the burden of our sin and our shame. God did that for you. And he says, look at what I've done. Look at the cross. Remember everything I have accomplished for you. And now stand on it. There is significance that God's met. His faithfulness is the last characteristic that God gives himself. It is the final period at the end of the sentence. God is emet all the time, period. God will be faithful to be moved with compassion when we cry out to him in our despair and pain. God will be faithful to delight in us and to rescue us and show us grace and forgiveness. God will be faithful to be slow to anger, to be patient and gentle when we fail him again and again. And God will be faithful to generously pour out his love upon us, especially when we've done nothing to deserve it. And maybe you're like me and you're wondering why. I mean, what does this God see in us? What do we really have to bring him but constant failure and disappointment? Anybody ever ask that? Like, I don't get it. Who am I, Lord, that you are mindful of me? And this is the best part. This whole series has been about asking the question, who is he? Who do we believe God is? He chooses us because that is who he is. That is his character. To knowingly partner with those who will fail him. Just so he can heal and redeem and restore us. Because it delights him to do so. He chooses to cherish us. He chooses to make us his treasure. And this emet deserves a response. Amen? So the question is, will we reciprocate his trustworthiness with trust? Despite the circumstances. The emet that God asks of us doesn't mean that we're a lack of struggle. But it is a constant decision that despite every obstacle, despite every setback, we will choose to continue to put our faith in the rock that cannot and will never be shaken. And as we move into our table discussions this morning, we're going to talk about a few questions and um, we're going to process them together and then I'll come around and, and ask what some of your thoughts are and maybe some final questions about the sermon series. So let's get to it. And if you're at a table that seems to be jam-packed, we've got plenty of tables so you can spread out a little bit.
you are released. Okay.